It is indeed a privilege and an honor to be here, to have been given the opportunity to deliver the 14th Netaji Subhash Memorial Lecture. So let me begin by, of course, thanking the uh, Netaji Subhash uh, Bose INA Memorial Trust uh, for providing me this opportunity. Let me also thank Fiki for providing this fantastic venue for this lecture. Now, as many of you already know, uh, I have been arguing for many years now that India needs to begin to revisit its own history and begins to retell it. And what better place to start than by starting with the story of India's freedom struggle. The reason is that if you read the conventional, official history books, you will get the impression that India's freedom struggle was a uniquely peaceful one. Basically, we gently suggested to the British that they should leave, and they politely left. The problem is that there is a completely different story to be told about an armed resistance to the British going back over a long period of time. And this story, too, needs to be told. This is not to suggest that the non-violent movement did not play a role. It did. But there was an armed resistance, too. And that story was just as important, but unfortunately, sadly, rubbed out of the usual narrative. Now, of course, many of the characters who were involved in this armed resistance have not yet been forgotten. These events are, after all, within living memory. So people are still aware of the names of Raj Bihari Bose or Bhagat Singh or Bismil and so on. But you'll get the impression that these were all individual acts of bravery that really didn't add up to a movement. So even the story of Netaji and the story of the INA comes up as if it was a flash in the pan that really didn't add up to very much. So, what I'm going to try and do today is to give you a flavor of the other story. Now, I'm not going to focus on particularly the INA or on Netaji, because I'm sure they have been revisited in previous lectures. And to some extent, these stories, this story has been told more than others. But what has not been done, I feel, and I'm going to try and attempt this in this lecture, is to try and give you a flavor of the fact that this uh, INA episode was a part of a much longer story. And if you do not understand that longer story, you will not understand what it is that Netaji and the INA were attempting to do, who the characters who were involved in this whole episode were, and what was the ultimate impact of this effort. So, here goes. If you went back to the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, you have to remember that India had now been under solid British rule for quite some period. The last real threat to British rule had been the revolt of 1857. And that, of course, had been an armed revolt. But it had been entirely crushed. And although there had been certain episodes of resistance, for example, in what is now Jharkhand under Birsa Munda, or the nobility of Manipur, many people forget this, who had carried out perhaps the last real effort 
uh, in the 1880s and 1890s to push back the British, uh, those efforts had not really gone anywhere. So by the turn of the century, a new movement, a completely new episode uh, of resistance began to emerge. Now the background to this was the fact that, of course, in the previous couple of decades, a institution, the Indian National Congress, had come together. But at least in the initial years, it was not much more than a debating society. In fact, the British tended to encourage the Congress because they thought of it as a safety valve. But it was really with the emergence of what is now known as the Garam Dal, the Lal Bal Pal Trio, that you began to see a much more aggressive approach being taken towards demanding for full freedom from the British. So it is in this context that a few young men began to organize themselves. And the names that will now come up is the names of Savarkar and Sri Aurobindo. Now, Sri Aurobindo is today remembered as a spiritual leader. But in the 1900s, his contribution was really to begin to organize groups, along with his brother, Baringosh, of groups across India, but particularly in Bengal, to resist uh, British rule by creating a network of small cells, which would come under the rubric of the Anushanan Samiti. So, meanwhile, while he was creating this network of groups, incidentally, uh, he was based at that time in Baroda, but he, this network was being created across Bengal. You also had young Indian students studying abroad, but particularly in London, who were organizing themselves uh, in a, you can call it a student hostel accommodation called India House in London, under another bright young man called Veer Savarkar. Now, these very initial efforts at some level were may have maybe, you know, very young people getting together, almost amateurish, almost, uh, you could argue. But these were very important efforts because they did two important things. One is that both Savarkar and Sri Aurobindo began, managed to create a network. And you will see, as I will come to later, that these networks became very important within India and, interestingly, with the case of Savarkar. He was based in London, but he was in touch with groups in North America, later on to become the Gadarites, in Paris, uh, with uh, 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 the groups uh, uh, Shamji uh, 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 Verma uh, and, uh, of course, Bhikaji Kama. So there were all these groups that were bubbling around in this uh, early part of the 20th century. Now, the very first attempt, this attempt that I, I, I uh, am describing, however, unraveled very, very suddenly between 1908, 1910. What happened is that Barin Ghosh was, had a ammunition factory just north of Kolkata in a place called Maniktala, and it got raided. Many of the characters involved in that episode of the Anishalan Samiti were arrested. Um, Barangosh himself was sent off to Kalapani and Aurobindo Ghosh had to escape to Pondicherry. Similarly, in the case of Savarkar with the assassination in London of Curzon Wiley by <coughs> one of Savarkar's followers, 
meant that Savarkar himself was arrested and despite his attempt to escape uh, in Marseille, he ended up also in Kalapani, in the uh, Port Blade. Now, this episode, as I said, may appear to have been a bit of a waste, but it did establish, as I said, one network, but a very important other thing as well, which was the strategy. You see, Savarkar, although later on he would drift away from the revolutionary movement, he wrote a very important book on the revolt of 1857, which was smuggled into India and widely published later on. And in that book, he basically argued that 1857 was really a, uh, a uh, trial run for what he considered was the ultimate way in which India would get freedom, which was through a major revolt in the Indian armed forces who had remained loyal to the British. Now, this is very important because this idea that Savarkar put into the revolutionary movement would remain with it over the next half century. Now, by 1913, of course, the First World War started. And the remaining revolutionaries decided that this was the opportunity to operationalize this idea of causing a revolt. Now, within India, this was put together by a gentleman called Rashbihari Bose and his lieutenant Sachindranath Sanyal. And they began to infiltrate many of the regiments scattered all over uh, India, but particularly in Punjab and UP. Meanwhile, in North America, another of Savarkar's followers, Lala Hardayal, began to organize the Sikhs who were living, most of them in the, in the California or in Canada, into what would be known as the Gadarites. And they began to plan for a major uprising in India in early 1915. And they put together a lot of effort into this. Regiments were primed. They were all ready to get go. It's somewhere in February of 1915. And the plan was that it would revolt with first start in India and then it would spread into the Indian regiments which had been deployed by the British across the world. But just a few days before this revolt was supposed to take place, one of the conspirators switched sides and informed British intelligence. And as a result, overnight, all the guards at the armories were changed from Indian guards to European guards. As a result of which, this revolt simply fell apart. Only in Singapore, there was a revolt. Um, and for about a week or so, Indian troops held Singapore. But ultimately, they were put down. Rajbihari Bose then escaped to Japan. Many of the others were caught. Sachindranath Sanyal was also arrested and he was a few months later sent off to uh, also to Port Blair. But that was not the end of it. This network had already been created and they now got in touch with the Germans. And under the leadership of Bagha Jyotin and another network called the Jugantur Network, they began to now train large numbers of Indian youth, particularly in Bengal, in how to use guns. And the idea was that the Germans would buy about a large number of rifles, and they did buy, purchase a large life, a number of rifles uh, in North America, which hadn't, by the way, America hadn't yet joined the, the war. And the idea was to take a shipload of these, about 30,000 rifles, through the Pacific, through Indonesia, and land them on the Odisha coast, 
where the idea was that you would take these rifles, distribute it among these trained youth, and on Christmas Day, when all the top officials uh, were meeting in the governor general's house in Kolkata, there would be a mass uprising. Unfortunately, what happened is that, again, the key German agent in Singapore switched sides and informed the British. And so this assignment of uh, these ships with these uh, arms assignments were intercepted and they never reached. Bhagajatin, of course, did not know this and he arrived at Balasore coast in Odisha and he was waiting for this when he was surrounded and, of course, ultimately killed. So this attempt too did not work. Now, the Germans supported yet another revolutionary group led by Raja Mahindra Singh and Maulana Barkatullah. And they made their way from Istanbul through Iran to Kabul, where they tried to uh, encourage the Afghans to uh, invade uh, through the northeast, while whatever was remaining of the Gadarites could again rise and revolt. This effort also failed. Now, somebody may take the view that, you know, these were just such impossible plans that they were almost guaranteed to fail. But this is not quite true. Similar plans actually did succeed in many other places. People forget that the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 was a very similar plot by the Germans to get, uh, to get uh, against, uh, to go against the Russians and it succeeded. I mean, it, it was the um, Germans who got Lenin in a closed train to come through Germany, through Sweden and Finland and reach St. Petersburg. Uh, it was no more an outlandish plan uh, than uh, what they were trying to do in India and that succeeded. Uh, the British did something similar with the Arabs against the Turks with the Lawrence of Arabia. Many of you will, even if you haven't read the history, you may have at least seen the movie and you will see that they did something very similar. So these plans of the Gadarites were not at all as outlandish as many people now try to make it out to be. But yes, it is true, it, they failed. And then the war in 1919 came to an end. The Allies, of course, won. And then all these soldiers, Indian soldiers who had been deployed in, all, in, in Europe in particular, but in other places as well, began to come home. But remember, the British were very well aware that these troops, same troops had been heavily indoctrinated before they had gone out by Gadarite ideas. And they discovered that many of the remaining revolutionaries were beginning to make contact with these returning troops. And remember, these are trained troops and they are war veterans, so doubly dangerous. This is the context in which the Rowlett Acts were put in place. And it is the pushback against the Rowlett Acts the, 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 uh, that ultimately resulted in the Jallianwala Bagh massacre. Again, notice that the Jallianwala Bagh massacre was very much related to the revolutionaries and to the Gadarite movement. It did not happen out of context. This is the context in which it has happened. So you have to understand the revolutionary movement if you want to understand Jallianwala Bagh. And as a result of Jallianwala Bagh, of course, it then gathered pace into the non-cooperation movement, which was, of course, led by Mahatma Gandhi and was 
famously a non-violent movement. In the middle of it, that all, as a peace gesture, the British released a large number of the uh, revolutionaries uh, who had been based, uh, who had been incarcerated in Port Blair, which included uh, Barin Ghosh and uh, Sachindranath Sanyal, although Veer Savarkar was still considered way too dangerous to be released. So many of these revolutionaries came back to India and they also participated in this uh, non-cooperation movement. Unfortunately, as you know, the movement was abruptly stopped after the Chauri Chaura incident. And many of the revolutionaries felt very, very let down by this. So they began to again regroup into an armed movement. And this is when Sachindranath Sanyal, who had of course been, uh, had not participated in the uh, non-cooperation cooperative movement because he had been from the beginning quite suspicious of it, he then organized this group into the Hindustan Republican Association and underneath the Hindustan Republican Army. So you suddenly had a new movement. And by the way, the name Hindustan Republican Army is not coincidental. It is very much named after the Irish Republican Army. So you have to remember that all of this is not happening in isolation. It is happening very much as a part of what was going on. It had very much linked, uh, very much derived from the links of these revolutionaries to the Irish and earlier, as you saw, to the Germans and, of course, with Raj Bihari Bose in, Tok in Tokyo with the Japanese. All of this is important to the story that I will later come to. Now, many things happened through the 20s with the uh, Hindustan Republican uh, Association, including the Kakodi case, um, the killing of Saunders in order to avenge the uh, the murder of Lala Lajpatrai, um, and so on and so forth. There were many, many episodes. But while all of this was going on with the revolutionaries, within the Congress there was an upheaval and there was a split for a while with Motilal Nehru and Siyar Das splitting away to form a uh, initially a party but later on a faction in the Congress party. And C.R. Das at that time recruited a young lieutenant, Netaji, not then known as Netaji, uh, Subhash Chandra Bose. And Subhash Chandra Bose began to create, also create his own networks. And one of the networks he created was within this revolutionary movement in Bengal, known as the Bengal Volunteers. Now the Bengal Volunteers, again, is a story that has also almost been forgotten. It is also a story that Netaji did not suddenly sort of opt for the revolutionaries after his, uh, in the late 30s when he had been evicted from the Congress, but in fact had a very close link to the revolutionaries from the very beginning. And in fact, the, it is the Bengal volunteers who carried out several acts of arms resistance in the subsequent years. So those of you who are familiar with Kolkata will, be, will know the name BBD Bark, which is what the central business district of Kolkata is called. It's named after Binoy Badol Dinesh. They were three revolutionaries who had attacked writers' building around 1930. And they were Bengal volunteers members. Uh, so although Subhash Bose, in public at least, kept his links to the revolutionaries uh, relatively controlled, he was very much in touch and in links with the, this group. And in the 1930s, he began to uh, build up and encourage many of these groups 
to join the Congress party. By this time, you have to remember, some part of the revolutionary movement had become uh, taken on Marxist or at least socialist ideologies. Uh, this had got to do, incidentally, to do with uh, a gentleman called M. N. Roy, again, barely remembered these days. But M. N. Roy had been Bagha Jyotin's deputy who had been sent to Indonesia to keep track of that arms consignment that was supposed to land in Odisha. But M. N. Roy was now stuck in uh, Indonesia and he had a very adventurous life and he ended up in Mexico where he helped found the Mexican Con uh, Communist Party and then he, after many further adventures, ended up in Tashkent where he would uh, set up the Communist Party of India. And then he would come back to India in, in the late 20s or 30s. And so there was one group which was linked to M. N. Roy, although M. N. Roy himself would leave the communist movement. This, this was one group. Uh, there were, of course, the old nationalist uh, um, revolutionaries who were still around. And they combined together to support uh, Netaji. Um, so this is the story of how Netaji himself rose very rapidly in the Congress party. And as I said, this idea that the Congress party was only about the Gandhian non-violence is, is wrong because the revolutionaries were very much a part of the Congress uh, party throughout this process, going back to uh, Sri Aurobindo himself. Now, of course, everybody knows uh, the history of what happened uh, with the election of uh, Subhash Bose as the president of the Congress party, how um, he had great difficulty working with uh, the Gandhian establishment of the party and, of course, was pushed out. I'm not going to repeat this story. But subsequent to that, he then formed a subgroup within the Congress called the Forward Bloc, which um, was not a separate party, later became a separate party. But more importantly, for our purposes here, he re-established contacts with many of the old revolutionaries. And remember, they could already feel by 1938 that a second world war was approaching. And so he was in touch very much with Raj Bihari Bose and with Sachindranath Sanyal, who were, by the way, already beginning to plan for a second run of the Gadarite movement. And they were activating all their links in Germany, in Japan, and many other places, uh, and of course within India as well. And so this is the context you have to remember. You have to also remember that just a few days before Netaji escaped from his house in Elgin Road, he also met Veer Savarkar. Why is this important? Because it is again important to remember back to the original plan of creating a large insurrection in the British Indian Army. And of course, that is exactly what happened once in 1942 when uh, Singapore fell to the Japanese. And who formed the INA? Well, again, it was Raj Bihari Bose, the old freedom fighter who had attempted to do exactly this in the First World War. So this is the reason you have to remember this was an attempt that had been going on for quite some time. And when the INA was formed in Singapore, they were essentially 
carrying out something they had been attempting to do for several decades by this point in time now again i do not need to tell you the story of what happened with the ina what happened in the burma campaign and so on and of course it all unwound in military terms there is no doubt that the ina was indeed a failure the japanese lost the war the ina was was in retreat many of its key members were died during the retreat or were captured and so on and so forth however the original revolutionary plan of an insurrection did happen and for that you have to remember what happens next when the soldiers of the ina were brought to delhi for trial and of course they were put up in <coughs> lal kila for trial there was an absolute buzz across the country and it didn't only happen in the general population population but also happened in the armed forces they were amazed to hear about the stories that were coming through and were being publicized as a result of this trial and in some ways this trial was a major strategic mistake of the british because they in a sense publicized the whole episode and it led to a lot of disgruntlement and this disgruntlement began to rapidly spread through uh, the indian armed forces and one of the places where it spread was the indian navy so in 1946 in mumbai there was a massive revolt in the royal indian navy some 20000 sol- uh, sailors and remember these sailors are war veterans they captured some 80 odd ships in bombay harbor and they declared freedom and when they did so there were similar revolts in karachi in kolkata and many other places and when the amen of the royal indian air force were asked to take action against them the british suddenly found that they were very very reluctant the same was true of many of the army regiments and there was a genuine fear when this revolt happened in 1946 that there would be a much more generalized revolt and that is the context ladies and gentlemen when the british decided to leave india so ultimately the revolutionaries succeeded and if you see the tale as told from the perspective of the revolutionaries you can see that it was not a matter of suddenly opportunistically subhash bose deciding to take advantage of the fascists or a suddenly newly found um love for Jap- japanese imperialism which some of his critics tend to suggest far from it when you see it in the context of the longer revolutionary movement its links to germany in the first world war raj bihari bose's long stay in japan the long and repeated efforts to cause an insurrection in the in- british indian armed forces then you understand that what netaji was trying to do was basically trying to get an old dream of the revolutionaries to come to fruition and guess what they ultimately succeeded thank you ladies and gentlemen jaind
I'll compliment you on a scintillating and a very moving presentation. May I just add one thing? Apart from the Indian soldiers from the Punjab who were in France and influenced very much by the French revolutionary uh, ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity who came back to Punjab, there was also the Bengal regiment in Mesopotamia where Kaji Nazrul Islam served. And they also got influenced by uh, notions of independence for India. And the regiment was disbanded by the British. And these Bengali troops, and which very few of us in Delhi know about, they came back to Bengal and they were very influential in stirring up and they interacted with the Bengal revolutionaries. Kazi Nazrul's poems were also very emotionally important for all the people the, whom you've mentioned. And, but this is sadly one aspect again of Indian history which has been blacklisted from our books. Absolutely, you're totally right that, they, I mean, I obviously shortened the story, but, no, no, but this I, is uh, absolutely and may true. May I sadly add that after the disbandment of the Bengal regiment, the Indian army never has had a Bengal regiment. This is another shocking instance of how independent India dealt with its past. Except, I'll add one before my army friends start shooting me down. There the is a Bengal sappers. Yeah, no, 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 no. The Bengal sappers had nothing to do with. They were in Rurki. There were very few. The great Karyappa allowed recruitment of Bengalis in one battalion of the Rajput regiment. That's the only exception. Thank you. Okay, okay thank you. Outstanding, Mr. Sanyal. Very impressive. I'm a biographer of Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. I wrote a book called The Man India Missed the Most. And my most recent book is the biography of Lala Hardeyal called The Great Indian Genius. The reason I'm so impressed with your speech is because you bring clarity to the history that this country was never told. We fought three wars of independence, 1857, the Ghadar Party movement, and Indian National Army. And we eventually won our freedom because of three wars. There was a multi-layered history and there was a Quitnia movement, but that didn't impact the imperial mind. I just want to add two more things. In these three wars, there were two things that were common. One was gender equality. Rani Lakshmi Bai fought in 1857. Women were part of the Ghadar party and Netaji's INA still has a soldier sitting right here. Second point, all the three wars we fought for freedom, 1857 Ghadar Party and the Indian National Army had the complete unity among all the communities of this country. Every religion fought for this country. That was the unique point of our freedom movement. We don't highlight that. History needs to be rewritten and it needs to be rewritten now. Thank you. Thank you. There's a gentleman in blue at the back. जी भारत को अपने इतिहास फिर से लिखना चाहिए लेकिन कब लिखेंगे हम छह साल हो गए हैं सरकार को एक कंट्रोवर्सी हुई थी दिल्ली यूनिवर्सिटी में जो फेमस बुक है मॉडर्न हिस्ट्री की उसको एक न्यूज़ चैनल ने उठाया था कि उसमें भगत सिंह और उनके साथियों को टेररिस्ट कहा गया है 
उस किताब को आनन फानन में वापस लिया गया और वो किताब फिर से वापस आ रही है यानी आपके पास अल्टरनेट नहीं है छः साल हो गए हैं सेंट्रल यूनिवर्सिटीज़ में जो बी को लेकर है वो डिफरेंट डिफरेंट विवाद जारी है अब होगा कब आफ्टर ऑल न्यू जो एजुकेशन पॉलिसी है वो स्टेट को ही लागू करनी है अब राज्यसभा में धीमे धीमे संख्या घटेगी क्योंकि स्टेट हाथ से निकल रहे हैं फिर जैसे ही इतिहास में लिखने की कोई भी बारी आती है जो अपोजिशन में जो भी पार्टियां हैं वो तुरंत एक आरोप लगाने लगती हैं तो आप कब लिखेंगे छह साल हो चुके हैं सो आई एम नॉट रिप्रेजेंटेटिव एनी पोलिटिकल पार्टी सो आई कैनोट आंसर फॉर दैट बट आई एज मेनी ऑफ यू नो आई हैव बीन arguing for rewriting this but let me also say that it is requires one of the things i will say it requires that a lot of work is done into actually creating the primary material so you there is no point in replacing rubbish with some more new rubbish so this is actually hard work which by the way i would be very pleased if you can also join the movement because one of the things i am at least attempting to do is to actually begin writing all of these things down unless you create the primary the primary material based on primary evidence i don't know there are debates for example on the aryan invasion theory also quite absurd anymore given the evidence but the fact is while the the papers have been written whether it's genetics archaeology now there's more than adequate archaeological uh, 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 evidence to show that this whole aryan invasion thing is uh, utter rubbish but we have to, somebody has to sit down and actually write the alternative story in the end remember false narratives are not replaced by criticism they are replaced by new narratives so those new narratives have to be written and one of the things at least people like me are attempting to do through a lecture like this is to at least get this new narrative out there the changing of the textbooks is not the beginning it is actually the end process of the creation of the new narrative when the new narrative is taught but the new writing of the new narrative itself takes effort and we are not i am afraid putting up in enough effort into this but since you have raised the issue please take up one section of indian history and simply look at the evidence and rewrite it we will, i will be very very pleased to take it on and publicize it and who knows in not too much time we will even put it in the textbooks there is a student here yes sir what was the benefit of activating groups in foreign countries to india so remember india at that time was obviously under british rule so there are many things you couldn't do if you were in british territory you would just get arrested hanged sent off to jail or whatever it is so by creating these networks across the world it one you were able to write books get them published you could raise money you could publicize the indian cause internationally uh, create links with other people who were trying to do the same thing for example the indians had very close links with uh, the irish um and during the wars with the japanese in the second world war and the, with the germans in the first world war so these were very very critical things to do you remember the indian revolutionary movement or the more widely the independence movement was not functioning in a vacuum it is functioning in in a in a real world where there are real world currents many of which are international currents if you do not engage with them and try to do things in isolation then likelihood is that you will fail so um just like we do today i mean we have to engage with the rest of the world on economics or geopolitics in the same reason the revolutionaries too engaged with their world as it stood at that point in time 
संजीव थैंक्स फॉर द इंसाइट्स एज अ मदर ऑफ एन एलेवन ईयर ओल्ड चाइल्ड आई वुड जस्ट लाइक टू नो वॉट हैपन्ड टू आई एन ए आफ्टर इंडिपेंडेंस द स्टोरी ऑफ मोनी बाबा एंड द अदर्स इन यू पी वॉट हैपन्ड इज इट इन इंटेलिजेंस और लाइक द जेंटलमैन सेट दैट इट स्टिल कंटिन्यूइंग जस्ट विद हिस्ट्री एंड इट वॉज आफ्टर इंडिपेंडेंस एवरीथिंग वॉज ओवर वेल the specific case of what happened to netaji is of course a hugely controversial topic i'm sure we can do several sessions and many movies around it um it is no doubt that <clears throat> the official line that he died in that plane crash that story has many holes in it but everything afterwards all the theories after that are all based on very circumstantial evidence now some of them may be slightly stronger evidence of him escaping for example to soviet union maybe that's true but it's circumstantial evidence um there is some evidence that maybe he came back to india and he was uh, gumnami baba and so on maybe it's true but i don't have any particularly strong view on it uh, i have to be fair not even looked very strongly into the data of uh, of these issues uh i will leave it purely to say that it is certainly the official story of his the crash has many many holes in it beyond that i don't really have a particularly strong view but as far as the remaining members of the ina are concerned uh, and also of the revolutionary movement and of the indian navy uh, the sailors who uh, the participated in the uh, naval revolt for the most part they were treated rather shabbily by indian by independent india now the odd person individual uh, may have uh, been uh, you know uh, uh, benefited after independence but for the most part uh, they were not the Indi- um, independent india did not take back for example the ina soldiers into the army and it is only i think just 2 years ago that they the 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 veterans ultimately participated in the republic day parade if i am not mistaken uh, as far as the same thing happened incidentally uh, to those who uh, revolted uh, and participated in the naval revolt of 1946 they were not taken back into the navy uh, many of them died in desperate poverty uh, very very late i think in the 90s some of them were you know, recognized as freedom fighters um same thing happened to the revolutionaries the revolutionaries were considered somewhat uh of a political threat by those who came to power after independence uh, a few of them uh, did prosper or at least join the mainstream uh, interestingly raja mahendra singh uh, did join the congress and he became an mp and i if i am not mistaken in his first election 1952 the person he defeated was atal bihari vajpayee but somebody else could uh, confirm this um 1957 1957 okay mahendra yeah mahendra pratap singh mahendra pratap singh yes um now of course uh, the very major leaders of the um revolutionary movement like raj bihari sachin sanyal um uh, chandrashekhar azad etc had the bulk of them had actually been killed uh, or di- a few had died of natural causes by the time india india became independent so most of the big leaders of that movement didn't survive to see indian independence but two did uh shri arobindo and savarkar those who had started it all of course they were very old by the time india became independent 
but they had survived to see it but in both cases uh, they had kind of drifted away from the revolutionary movement one of them had gone into spirituality another into more social causes so um so in a sense the revolutionary movement itself uh, sort of got scattered uh, few joined the congress uh, one branch of it ended up in the communists and another branch ended up uh, uh, with uh, on the right um and uh, you know various branches of them have survived some of them some of those branches have merged with the jansang and the bharatiya janata party and so on but the revolutionaries consequently uh, exist to this day but not in as a movement but in as scattered across the entire political spectrum of india thanks sanjeev for a excellent and a very enlightening lecture but more importantly i entirely agree with you that a myth cannot be replaced with a myth but with a matter whether it is just prior to the independence or post independence also lot of myth has been perpetuated and the more and more myths are being perpetuated the matter is getting lost and the evidentiary background of these matters are also getting lost i will make no mistake in this that are we is it not a race against time because the more and more we lose the time i have written a book called myth of hindu terror a hindu terror myth was perpetuated and tried to be placed right from the connection with the abhinav bharat which became defunct in 1953 and was revived through various suspicious sources in 2005 and from there the myth of hindu terror flows i have now i am looking to file find material on the entire myth of sikh militancy because a community which has produced one of the finest warriors in 1971 war they won the 1971 war for you had in 6 to 7 years turned into a discredited militant community this is also a myth which has been perpetuated i have some i have some links to that but i am not getting the real evidences authentic on which i can prove this point the hypothesis is right but to validate it i require a million more, more uh, uh, so are we not see in 40 years we have already lost a lot of material are we not in a race against time to really bring the facts see rakhi gadi and other recent bagpat excavations are reinforcing certain facts which has been uh, wrongly perpetuated uh, myth has been perpetuated against the matter in the mahabharata and previous ancient indian history but post independence era also lot of myth in place of matter has been perpetuated so you are absolutely right, right. that you know we it's not just a, i i mean the purpose of this lecture was to focus on a particular period but you're right i mean not just before it's not history but even post independence history also needs to be revisited incidentally since you asked me about the khalistani movement let me tell you there is a very strong link uh between the khalistani movement movement and the story i just told you you see the khalist the the ghadar movement had a very strong sikh element and it in particular it was very strongly based out of canada and the british when they faced with this they invested an enormous amount of effort energy and uh, secret service uh, resources to begin to indoctrinate these gadarite sikhs in north america particularly in canada 
and it is quite interesting they funded gurudwaras literature and individuals uh, in order to try and propagate anti hindu ideas amongst the sikhs uh, and try to separate them up as a religion uh, and th- a lot of this evidence of this incidentally is still available um i can i'm happy to provide that but in many ways the origin of the khalistani movement should actually be first looked at from the british attempts to infiltrate the gadarites in the 1915 to 1920 period and in fact there was an enormous amount of turmoil in the sikh community at that time as a result of this uh, british uh, infiltration uh, in fact uh, um, you know there were gun shootouts amongst the sikhs in north america and so on on this issue and this is the reason why to this day there is this strong khalistani movement in canada it is directly related to the british attempt to stamp out nationalistic sikhs in canada at that time so if you must look at this uh, you must go back that far shanjeev so one uh, yeah. legendary revolutionary trilokanath uh, chakravarti also called maharaj who spent 31 years in jail he was i think only indian revolutionary who was sentenced to uh, uh, burma then uh, andaman like that you know and he was also imprisoned by the pakistani government he refused to leave pakistan and he wrote a uh, autobiography called 31 years in jail i think and he writes about his links he mentions visiting all these places where rajbihari bose used to uh, visit sachin sarnal subhash chandra bose and all but nothing much is known about him this is one dimension which needs to be explored i've been talking about this the last few years i know so yeah. what you need to do is to write a good thriller based on his life and i'm sure i'm sure bollywood would love to make a movie about it because he really had a thrilling life uh, and in fact uh, you know one of the interesting things about these characters is that as i read about them it's absolutely fascinating uh, how the lives they led um i mean pure, quite purely from uh, never mind the uh, interest we have in nationalistic or patriotic interest we have in them purely as lives they were so interesting as characters they they were you know they were spies and they were uh, participating in world events in all kinds of ways and they were you know they were carrying out assassinations uh, they were you know smuggling things uh, they were really interesting characters and they were not old many of them were just in their late teens in their 20s uh, when they were doing some of these uh, things um, so i would argue that you know some of their lives and i'm i'm ho- i'm putting together material for a book as you can tell uh, some of you but uh, but just reading about their lives is so so interesting i mean Uh, Raj Bihari Bose alone is such an interesting character. Um, um he spent a lot of time in Japan. He married a Japanese lady. Uh and he earned a living by the way by running a Indian restaurant in Tokyo. And that restaurant, although the original building was bombed during the Second World War, that restaurant still exists. And you can still go there and have the original Raj Bihari Bose chicken curry recipe. which i have eaten 
So, uh, much of this history is not entirely dead. As I can say, the Sorry, Khalistani the movement name, is a result of this. What's the name of, of the restaurant? I, just uh, I think it's called Nakamuriya. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, the, the uh, name of the sir? place or the restaurant, I forget. But you can Google it up. I don't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, there are scatterings of this history all over. Uh, one of my grand-uncles, uh, uh, Nath Sanyal, had been part of uh, 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 an attempt to throw a bomb on Lord Hardinge in Chandni Chowk, uh, which is uh, right next to Parathe Wale Gali, which I visit quite often. And it's quite amusing for me to go there and have this and to think about the fact that I currently work in an office which was built by Lord Hardinge. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>